for creation breathed its first breath and all there was to be was not yet you were seated there on your throne high and glorious god alone you're the one i worship and adore every moment leaves me wanting more in your presence i am overcome I sing your praise at the top of my lungs. Yeah, you are God, the great I am, holy, eternal King, and yeah, you
guys, if you would turn your attention over here to the baptism. Good morning. Still not a hello. Good morning. How are y'all? It is so good to be here and worshiping with you this morning. And of course, starting off in worship with music. We'll have worship through offering, worship through the Word, and then even worshiping and celebrating our Lord through baptism today. So we have this sweet little friend who's in third grade, Addison Bell, call her Addie, um, and her dad, Jonathan, is going to be baptizing her today. Um, Proud family drove in this morning from the Golden Triangle area, Port Arthur area, so we're so glad that y'all are here, that you all are here to celebrate with us this morning. Um, Little brother Maddox, big brother Austin, so great to have them um, watching what's going on in her sister's life. So Ashley is, is the proud mom. She's going to come and read her salvation story. Through these past few years, we've asked um, those that uh, are wanting to be baptized, well, tell us your story. How did you come to know Christ? So Ashley's going to read her salvation story. So we are so proud of Addie, um, and we just can't wait to see what God has in store for her. So this is her testimony in her words. I decided to follow Jesus because I had been learning about how great and loving Jesus is. And I know that he died on the cross for our sins, and he loves us just the way we are. I went to my mom, and I asked her to say a prayer with me to ask Jesus into my heart. That is her testimony. Upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Addie's great-grandmother, Miss Rachel, is um, going to say her prayer. Yes, ma'am. Heavenly Father, we bring our little Addison, your daughter, Addison Grace, to the throne room today as she has decided to follow Jesus. And we know that you are the potter and we are the clay. And the potter uses water to clean the clay and he uses water to mold the clay. And we know that Addie's desire is to be molded and to follow Jesus. Bless her, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, every, every time we do this, uh, I, I probably say kind of the same things, but I think it's like we get to doing this for so long as believers, as Christians, you kind of start becoming a little jaded. You know, like, is God really still doing stuff? Is God really still working? Is God still moving? And, uh, you know, every time we have this, it's just like such a good reminder that, man, God still saves people. Like, he still calls people his own. He still says, you're my kid, and brings them into his family. And it's just uh, I think it's such a good reminder for all of us. But, uh, yeah, um, we're going to jump back into some music here. If you guys want to stand, you can. If you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. You don't have to. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to, um, we say it every week, uh, don't be a spectator. Join in with us this morning.
make us sing, what can make us praise, even through our pain, shout your name, our God saves. When the world is falling apart, there's a peace down deep in our hearts, our God saves. Amen. Yes, I got saved. Oh, God so loved everyone that He sent His only Son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here to condemn, but to save the world through Him for all of us. Who believe He offers life eternally? Yeah. Oh, life eternally. Yeah. When the world is falling apart, there's a peace down deep in our hearts. Our God saves. Oh, yes, our God saves. Oh, God so loved everyone that He sent His only Son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here to condemn, but to save the world through Him. For all of us who believe, He offers life eternally. Our God sings, all our sins are washed away. Yes, our God sings. Oh, hallelujah, our God sings, all our sins are washed away. Yes, our God sings. Oh, God so loved everyone that He sent His only Son to take away our sin and shame. He did not come here to condemn, but to save the world through Him for all of us who believe. He offers life eternally.
bow your heads with me for a minute. Father, we thank you so much for this day and just for the, the privilege that we have to gather together and to sing and oh, to hear the voices when this church sings. It's just, it's amazing. And I thank you for that privilege to hear that. Um, we just, we lift up the family with their newly uh, baptized girl, sweet Addison, and um, we just thank you for so much today, Lord, so many blessings. And um, we lift up those who aren't here, maybe are having to view online, uh, that you'll just give all of us something this week from Mark's message and from the worship to just cling to until next week. I just thank you so much, Lord. Amen. depths of our hearts, oh God, we cry out to you. You have been so faithful in all that you say and do. Oh, how you love us and you forgive us of our sin and shame at the cross you pardon all who call upon your name oh you are our love you are our for your grace and thank you for your grace that frees us thank you for your truth and thank you for our love that never ends thank you for your proof oh you are our Yes, you are our life. You are the giver, breather of life. And you are our hope. You are our peace. You are the one who calls us redeemed. Oh, you are our love. And our hope is strong. We're in His hand. 
And our hope is strong Here in your hands Our faith complete Here in your hands Our hope is strong Here in your hands Our faith complete Oh, you are our love You are our life You are the giver, breather of life And you are our hope You are our peace You are the one who calls us redeemed You are alive, you are the giver, breather of life, and you are our hope, you are our peace, you are the one who calls us redeem, oh, you are our holy word together have you never heard have you never understood the lord is the everlasting god the creator of all the earth he never grows weak or weary no one can measure the depths of his understanding he gives power to the weak and strengthens to the powerless even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will never—they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. When my words don't seem to do justice To describe the glory that you are I will stand before you in worship And I will show you my heart Oh, I lift my hands, yes, I lift my voice to you. Yes, I lift my hands, oh, I lift my voice to
God and there's no other who can stand next to your name. You alone are worthy of all honor and all love I praise. So I lift my hands, as I lift my voice to
mistakes I make when I take my eyes off of you. I don't know why you love me, but you do. And I don't know why you carry all my shame. Why you would freely come and die in my place Why you would walk my path or why you would even look my way I don't know why you carry all my shame You loved me before I knew you and you forgive me when I cry to you and so I thank you I lay my life before you God I don't know why you love me but you do You gave your life so I could live And so this life I freely give You gave your life so I could live And so this life I freely give You gave your life so I could live And so this life I freely give You gave your life so I could live And so this life I freely Before I knew you And you forgive me When I cried to you And so I thank you I lay my life before you God I don't know why you love me But you do Before I knew you And you forgive me When I cried to you And so I thank you I lay my life 
I don't know why you love me, but you do. Oh, I don't know why you love me, but you do. And I don't know why you love me, but you do. And I don't know why you love me, but you do. But why you forgive me for the things that I do. Amen, amen. God, we just stand before you in awe. You're so beautiful, wonderful. When we think of what you have done for us on the cross and taking all of our sin and our shame and, and rising from the dead and seated there right now, interceding for us, God, it's, it's almost too much. It's almost too much when we stop and think about it. But God, we just say thank you. Why you love people like us, it just blows us away. But God, we're so thankful that you do. So thankful that you do, God. We just ask that you'd open our heart, open our ears to hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. All right, lively this morning. Everybody's had their coffee. That's good. All right. I've had some coffee as well and a Red Bull, so we're, we're feeling good. <laughs> I'm just messing. Oh, man. Welcome, welcome. If you're uh, watching online, welcome to you as well. Uh, I, my name is Adam. I have the privilege of leading our youth ministry here, and I have a wonderful announcement that I'd like to bring to you this morning. Uh, yes, kids, uh, GPS, you know the drill. Go. All right. Uh, so uh, the announcement is I would love to uh, just let you know that on October 16th, uh, we're going to do a conference, a family conference, uh, calling it FamilyCon, original, I know. There you go. Uh, man, this is for our parents and our students, and, and really, if you're a parent at all, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to come and be discipled as well, because not only do we value uh, discipling our students, but also our parents, and to do that at the same time, in the same room, in the same place, uh, that's really exciting. And so uh, we're going to have a guest speaker with us. His name is Dr. Ross. He's been doing youth ministry for, oh, longer than I've been alive, I think, so... Uh, he's going to do a wonderful job. He'll be here with us. Uh, low cost for the entire family, uh, $40 for the entire family to come to this conference. We're doing it over just one day, so 9.30 in the morning, and we'll be done about 2 o'clock in the afternoon or so. Um, so yeah, if you'd like to sign up for that, uh, just right outside here, outside the doors at the uh, student table, there's a uh, poster there with a QR code on it. You can use your phone to sign up from that poster right there. If you have any questions, please come talk with me. I'd love to let you know more about what is going on. And now we will invite up the esteemed Robert. There we go. There we go. I made it up the steps. Uh, so I'm Robert Grimes. I'm one of the mission pastors here, along with Jerry Pig, who's sitting right over here. Before I make my announcement, I do want to introduce a couple that's here with us today. They flew all the way in from Russia just for this service today. It's Daniel and Ksenia sitting right over here. Y'all go ahead and stand up for a second. Yeah. They are, they are missionaries in Russia. They have a ministry there, a fantastic ministry there. So if y'all get a chance to say hi to them today, Please do. 
Okay, so you remember a few weeks ago we, we laid out some sheets of uh, paper in your chairs that asked for things that may be roadblocks uh, for you to serve in missions or to take mission trips. We compiled all that information, put it together, and we're going to start having meetings over the next couple of months to address some of those roadblocks. The first meeting is going to be on October the 2nd, which is a Sunday, 11.15 a.m. We're going to meet in the library. Hopefully we have enough people that we have to move it into the worship center. But we're going to start in the library, and the things we're going to talk about is, is what are our missions, why are our missions important, our responsibilities and role as a church, where and how can you join the missions in addressing roadblocks, and then we'll have a time of question and answers. So we'd love for you all to attend. You're not signing up to take a mission trip. You're signing up to learn about missions and what they mean. So come by. If you've got questions, you can talk to Jared. You can raise your hand over there. I think everybody knows Jared. Or you can come up to me and speak to me about it, and I'll give you more information on it. But we'd love to see you at the meeting to address those roadblocks we talked about earlier. So thank you so much, and y'all have a great worship and message today. Well, it's about to get really good, so. <laughs> I just want to know why Adam, when he does these announcements, he's never called me esteemed. Gosh. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, before we begin, I just want to, uh, let me put some context to Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, Danielle and, Consi yeah, I can't pronounce your last name, so they're just going to be our Russian missionaries, but uh, we have been supporting them with crew ministries for many, many years, and it is a privilege to have you with us. Uh, it's probably a privilege not just to be here, but to be, take a breath a little bit. Uh, you guys know the world, look, missions is deeply affected by what's going on in the world, as you know. And you know that Russia and the Ukraine have a war, a police action, whatever you want to call it, going on right now. And that has had a huge impact on their ministry, as well as their safety and all that. And so what I'm excited about is Wednesday night, they're going to be sharing what's going on in their ministry, what God's been doing. This will not be online. It's just going to be in this room. So I encourage you to come out. If you're, uh, we need to pray for these people. They have kids. I mean, I, it doesn't really, you know... They're, they're in harm's way because their goal is Jesus, not Russia, the same way our goal is not America, it is Jesus. And uh, they're living in a very precarious situation. So we would ask you to come out. Will there be a chance to ask questions? So some I'm sure that they won't feel comfortable answering. Use your heads a little bit, you know, because of all that. But we are really honored to have you here, and we have been praying for you. They're staying at the Lewis's house, right? That's right. And are, they, are you cooking for them, Stephen? Just today, and then you leave them alone. Well, we're glad they're here. Uh, you're going to be in the States for a month, is that right? Or about a month? So we're so glad you're here. And uh, we have been praying for you. And, and it's really a privilege to have you in our midst. And I love your posts on Facebook, although I have to use Google Translator with them. But, uh, but anyway, a couple other things that I want to let you guys know. Um, uh, the reason, let me, let me talk short-term missions for a second. The reason we invest so much time, so much money, and so many effort in the, much effort in these short-term missions is because you, you realize you are planted here by the King of Kings, the Sovereign One, to do mission work in East Texas. We all know that. We know, as Adam said, that we need to disciple our own children. And I think pretty much all of us accept that. Whether or not we're doing a great job, that's a different question. And we are gearing up. Adam has a passion, and so does Alicia to give you the tools you need to do that. <clears throat> uh, one of the, uh, I heard somebody uh, this morning 
when Jonathan baptized his daughter, you know, wow, why isn't a pastor doing that? Well, let me clarify. From Scripture, the spiritual head of the house, the, the husband, the father, is in fact the pastor of that child. And therefore, we like when fathers baptize their children. Uh, and it puts a big weight on him because now he's responsible for his spiritual well-being, right? Now he, it's, it's not just him baptizing her and, wow, we're done. Now it's, I'm going, uh, Addie, I'm going to help you grow up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mature you. Sometimes when you grow up in East Texas, in the Bible Belt, in this culture, you don't realize, like, like Chad was saying this morning, I too am moved by this. It's such a wonderful thing to be together, to see little Addie be baptized. And I know that, you know, we got a hole in the wall in this room, but it's not a program. It's truly a young lady who's been asking for a while to be baptized. And if you grew up in the church, you know what parents do. Well, I don't think they understand yet. Until the kid asks for six months, and then mom and dad, they, okay, what do you think? And then they go to Alicia, and we talk about it. It's such a privilege. Jesus said, let the little kids come to me. With all that being said, we think it's worth the investment of time and money. And Carpenter's Way puts a lot of money into missions, both short-term and permanent missions, like Daniel, uh, the, you know, that family. I'm going to embarrass myself like I already have. Daniel and Cassinia. Was I close? Thank you, Tamara. Tamara, sheep of the day. So anyway, uh, but, but we want you to go because here's what happens. When you go to Russia and you work with them and you meet young people in Russia that are hungry for forgiveness and grace, it changes your politics. Not that you don't feel the same what happens is it's awfully hard to nuke people you, you've known. It's awfully hard to go to war with people you care about. And you, for a week of your life or two weeks of your life, you're actually, you, you actually just do ministry. 24 hours a day, seven days, for that whole time, you're doing ministry. It just changes you. It changes how you look at life. And then you come home and you go through a season of a little bit of dissatisfaction. You wonder why we're not doing the same here. And the answer is go ahead and do the same here. So it is a life-changing experience. And that's why we wanted to know, uh, the mission investment team wanted to know, what keeps you from going to these trips and are trying to set up a series of conversations on how we can help you overcome those, those difficulties so that you can go and be transformed. And, uh, and, and the secret is this. While we go and we help Cassinia and her husband Daniel, while we go and help them, and they appreciate that, the truth is what you come back with changes all of us. It's way deeper. It changes us. It, it, it affects the church. We live in a Christian culture that's kind of normalized political action. When you go away and you see people working, it happened to me in India. When I saw how Yesupadam functioned in a non-Christian government that wanted to shut him down, it changed how I looked at what's going on here. I'm, I, you know, I like the comfort of America. I like the comfort of church. But if it changed, we'd be just fine. How do I know that? Because I've seen it in India. And it still thrives. And in China, there are brothers and sisters this morning meeting in secret, and they are thriving in the joy of the Lord. So that's why we put so much energy in this. So when these things come up, and it's going to be at 11 o'clock, so it's during the Bible study hour, we're, we're not asking all the Bible studies to shut down. If they want to, they can. Or just sneak out and come to that meeting. Uh, I also want to remind you uh, that church, this, this is fine, 
but churches encouraging each other. So make sure you're involved in a Bible study group. We've had a ton of new people coming in the last few weeks. And if you're not part of a Bible study, at the end of this service, there's a table that has a CW on it out there. My dad and my Karen are at that table. Uh, Jeff's back there in the area. And we would love to introduce you to a Bible study group. And that's where there's family. That's where you take care of each other and you pray for each other. And uh, we, we thank you for that. So that pretty much is all the announcements I want to make this morning. Um, I, I did want to mention, for those of you who've been at Carpenter's Way a long time, you know that Dusty, uh, went to be with, Dusty Hudson went to be with the Lord a few weeks ago, and his family is having a memorial service here at 11 o'clock on Saturday, and it's going to be in the student room. And several of you have asked about it, so Jeff wanted me to, to tell you that in case you wanted to be a part. So 11 a.m. this coming Saturday in the student room uh, will be Dusty Hudson's memorial service. All right, before I begin, I got one more thing to say. And it is a correction from last Sunday. I know I never make mistakes. But this is on what I said about Catholic doctrine. I said last week, incorrectly, that Catholic, the Catholic doctrine, we're not talking about the Catholic, the universal church, the Roman Catholic church does not believe in original sin. That's, that's not true. They do believe in original sin. They actually believe even in that we are born with a sin nature. What they believe is that at infant baptism in the Catholic Church, their sin is removed. And so a Catholic, a faithful Catholic, goes through life without a sin nature. So when you make a mistake, to clean that mistake, you compensate for that sin with penance, confession, the sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church, the Eucharist. So what I was trying to say, my, my point was still accurate in that um, that you come into the Catholic setting, into the Eucharist, not having a sin nature, just sinning. So you perpetually have to get forgiveness from God through the blood and body of Jesus Christ, which they believe is found in the Eucharist. So we have communion, they have the sacrament of, uh, of the Mass, and that literally becomes the blood and body of Christ, which Scripture says takes your sin away. So, so again... Why, why, for those of you who haven't been with us, I, I just wanted to clarify, I'm, I'm not always on point with some of this stuff, and I always want to correct it, and I, I thank those of you who pointed out to me that was not true. I did some research this week. I want you to know that I was not seduced into becoming a Catholic. I still believe in biblical doctrine, and uh, we can talk about that sometime too, how they come up with different doctrines than we do. Uh, they believe, well, I'll just tell you real quick, and then I'll get into my message. The Catholic Church believes that the Word of God is authoritative as interpreted by the Roman Catholic Church or the Pope. So basically, while you have Scripture, it has to be defined by what the Pope says. We believe that each of you on your own can go to Scripture and discern with the power of the Holy Spirit and what it says within its context what it says. So that's why we end up with different doctrines. And that's important now as we jump into our text for today because in our study of Romans, which I have entitled Soteriology, it's gone. It just disappeared. Satan's at work. Okay, there it is. But in our study, this time through, we're going to look at the doctrines of salvation. That's just a, a Greek word that means the study or a Latin word that means the study of salvation. And of all the books in the Bible, Romans is the most complete book that does that. And so we're going verse by verse through. And as I mentioned, and the first one will come up in the next couple of weeks. But I'm going to teach the book like I always do, verse by verse. And then when we hit a big theology that's part of the soteriology discussion, 
Zach is going to come and he's going to preach that theology, that doctrine that pertains to that. Because I want you to leave this with your head full of information on what it means to be saved. And not the Baptist views of salvation or the Catholic view of salvation, but God's God's view of salvation. I want you to be able to go back into this, this book and go, oh, what was it in Romans we studied? And you don't have to go through my notes, you just go through Scripture. Does that make sense? So that's what we're doing here together. That's what we're doing in this, in this letter. So last week we began Paul's letter to the believers in Rome with this introduction that we spent our time last week on. This letter is from Paul, identifying himself as a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. Man, there's a lot of information in that verse. We talked about it last week. So who wrote the letter? Paul. How does he see himself as the slave of Christ Jesus? What is his role? He was, he was the word apostle means sent out, the sent one. Paul was sent out to preach this good news. God promised this good news that he was sent out to preach long ago, through his prophets, and in the Holy Scriptures. So pause for a second right here, and I want to remind you that this is not Mark's doctrine, the Roman Catholic Church's doctrine, the Baptist doctrine. What is found in this letter, if you've ever wanted to know, well, what does the Bible say about how a person is forgiven, how a person is adopted, how a person is saved? That is the answer, according to Paul, the Scriptures. And it's been told from the beginning of this book, from the beginning of the Holy Scriptures, this good news that I want to talk to you about, that I was called to preach about, is about Jesus, God's Son. Super important. It's not about joining a church. It's not about, it's, it's, it's not about denominations. It's centered on Jesus. It's not centered on behavior or moralism. It's centered on Jesus. In his earthly life, Jesus, that's who he's talking about, in his earthly life, so as a human, he's saying, he was born into King David's family line. And Jesus was shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So last week we talked about this. So the facts prove that Jesus, the Messiah, the one that, says that, that this good news is centered on, is fully God and fully man. Fully in the lineage of David and fully the Son of God. And so that's what he's saying there. Uh, he goes on to say, he is Jesus, and I'm going to add the Christ, because remember, Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it's his identifier, it's what he was. The word Christ simply is the English transliteration of the word Messiah, so it's Jesus, the Messiah, who is our Lord, who is our ruler, who is, I'm a slave to, he is my master, he's our master. Through the Messiah, or Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles. So not everybody, but he's given the apostles, these sent ones, the privilege and authority. And I'll talk about why that's important in a moment. To tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And here's where it gets personal, okay? So he's done with this introduction, and he says, and you are included among those Gentiles... What Gentiles? The Gentiles we have been called to preach to. We, you are included among those Gentiles who, who have been called to belong to Jesus the Messiah. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So in a few moments when we get into today's text, you're going to see that Paul had never been to Rome. He did not know these people by name 
or personal. And most of his letters, he starts or ends by greeting particular people that he knows there. I got to spend time with Timothy. I'm glad to greet John Mark or whoever. But in this letter, you're going to find in a moment that he had never been there. And while most of them had probably heard about Paul, and this is important, now they are hearing directly from Paul. And that's a big deal. Because he was a very well-known sent one to the Gentiles. Why would he have been well-known? Because you remember that he started his ministry, actually his ministry to Judaism, by arresting these people and wanting them killed. And any Jew that had aligned themselves with these Christ-following Gentiles were hated. And I want to remind you also that Paul is a Pharisee, hated Gentiles. The word Pharisee, and Robert was talking to me about this this morning, and I, I looked it up while we, uh, before we started, because I, I never realized this. But the word Pharisees means uh, set apart. It's an arrogant thing. It means we're better than you. And it, some historians say that what they saw themselves set apart from is Gentiles. So Paul, who was a, a Pharisee, saw himself as set apart from these silly little Jesus followers, and he wanted to arrest Jews that became part of this problem that was a problem for Judaism, and now he's ministering to them. And so they certainly knew about him, and now they are hearing from him. Because of this, it's important that he not only introduce himself to them, but he clarify his credentials and authority with which he is going to teach them. And, uh, uh, and that's why he started by saying that he was among the apostles who had been chosen by God to tell everyone everywhere the good news of God that is centered on Jesus. And some may say, well, what makes him more authoritative than Peter or, or somebody else? Not Peter necessarily, because he was an apostle as well. What makes him more authoritative? And the answer in his introduction is God. So if, if people are wondering, well, uh, and I get asked this quite often, or you've been asked this, but if you meet somebody that did not grow up in the church, one of the questions is, well, why do we need to read what Paul said or what Peter said or what James says? Because I can just read the red stuff. Jeff did a series with the students a few years ago called The Red Stuff. And it was all of the teachings of Jesus. But that's a fair question to somebody who didn't grow up in the church. And this is the answer to that. Because God gave us the authority to teach you as if it's the red stuff. Remember that the scriptures are the inspired and without error word of God. And Paul is teaching this truth that we're about to study on behalf of God. But before he gets into the meat of his letter, which we will jump into next week with both feet, he has one more thing that he wants to share with those to whom he is writing. Here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, and listen to why, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Now, I just, I just so badly want you to understand, this is not the Bible. This is a letter. He's writing to them. This is the greeting. He, he wants to connect with these people. This is from his heart. And I want you to hear it as such. We are so busy when we go into Romans to jump into the meat, and it's, it's so important. But there is a heart involved, and it's really important that you hear it this morning before we jump into the theology. So we're going to start again in verse, verse 8. So go back. Uh, whoever's on the screen, there you go. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because of your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. 
Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about His Son. One of the things that I always pray is for the opportunity, God willing, to come to you at last and see you. For I long to visit you so I can can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow and strengthen the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But here's the thing that struck out to me this week, and you'll find out that as I preach the rest of this message. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you, and I want to see your spiritual fruit. Now, just pause. I'm going to preach this later, but I want you to notice this as we read through this. We are used to Paul teaching. We are used to Paul going, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to teach you some stuff. How to design a church, not the building, but the structure of the government, elders and deacons. We're used to Paul teaching about the, uh, about, about uh, the law and grace. We're used to that. But I want you to note that there's something in his heart here that he keeps including this idea that he needs or wants to be encouraged by them as well. He's not just coming to impart his information, but there seems to be an idea that he wants to be encouraged by them. He wants not only to, to, to use his gifts among them, but he wants to see their spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. Verse 14, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I'm eager to come to you in Rome too, to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news. Okay, again, this is a verse you memorized in Sunday school or VBS, most of you. And I, I, I think that's awesome. We need to memorize scripture. But what it's done is it's taken this verse and put it over here on the side, and we and we have we have the idea that it's a meme. But the truth is it's within a context. He has said over and over again without getting deeply into it that I am called to preach the good news. And, and, you know, in English, that's the gospel. That's the word. I like the word good news better because that's what it is. It's not a title. It's an it's explanation of what he preaches. I want to tell you the good news. And, and he, he gets into the end of this introduction, and he says, I want you to know that this good news I keep mentioning, that I've mentioned like seven times already, I'm not ashamed of it because it's about Christ. You see, the obsession, my obsession with the good news, I'm adding that, is that it's the power of God at work serving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And why is it such a big deal? Because this good news tells us, uh, uh, tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Wow! Wow! Stop! Breathe that in! And I, I know even the New Living, it's kind of high lofty a little bit, but this good news that I keep telling you I've called to preach, this good news I'm not ashamed of no matter what people say about me and think about it, this good news tells us uh, how God makes us right with himself. Wow, how good is that? You realize that every religion in the world, every religion is you trying to make your way to God. God is offering good news where he makes you right with himself. There isn't a religion, in fact, most Christian religions, that's all they are, is you being moral enough, good enough, active enough, religious enough to to appease God so maybe he won't condemn you. I asked a Catholic priest once, and I'm not here to pick on Catholics, but, uh, but there's a lot of confusion. I asked a Catholic priest once, so an infant baptism, a baby becomes a Catholic. Yes, they become a Catholic. Are they saved? Well, their sin is forgiven. Okay, so what happens when they rebel when mom doesn't give them, you know, uh, their food within an hour? 
what happens to that forgiveness? And he said, well, again, as they get older, then they will confess. And they go into the confessional, and they tell the priest what they've done, and then the priest absolves their sin, if they're willing, to do penance. It may be Hail Marys, it may be good deeds, it may be volunteering in the church, but that's the process. And then you take the Eucharist, and that forgives you. And my question was, well, what happens if a good Catholic sins as they're walking out of the church, stubs his toe and cusses, and then falls down the stairs and dies? What happens to that person? And he says, well, we hope they're saved. Because there's no confidence. Why? Because salvation, salvation although called it, isn't really a gift of God. It's self-help. And I would argue this, the Mormonism teaches the same thing. They just don't believe in really hell for more than about a dozen people. All of the world's religions, Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that if you are a good Jehovah's Witness, you might be redeemed. Biblical, biblical Christianity. There are Baptist churches that teach uh, self-moralism. I'm not picking on religions here. I'm simply saying that you have to understand, and many of you grew up in churches that teach this, but you have to realize how insidious this has become in the church, how in, in the religious Christian world. They do believe in self-help, and, I'm, and, and Paul's gospel, his good news, is really, really, really good news. I think that should be the better phrase. I don't think we should ever call it the gospel again. I don't even think we should refer to it to good news. I think we should call it the super, 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 really, 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 really good news. Because if we could sit in a circle with a bunch of atheists and said, if God exists, who is the judge, and he is going to condemn you for hell for being a sinner, what do you think is the fair thing or the right thing for him to do? That person eventually, if you could have that talk, would say, God just needs to find a way to forgive me. And that's the good, 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 good news. It's exactly what he did. He planned a way for us to be forgiven. And that's why Paul's writing about it. That's what he's spending his life doing. And I think like Chad, I thought it was interesting what he said this morning. Chad is so on point. I don't know where you are. There you are. Can't see because of the lights. But Chad said this morning that this stuff gets old to us. Don't let it get old. It's awesome. That's why I love to clap when, when a person is baptized. It's exciting. And I know that, that, that you feel uncomfortable Baptists clapping because it's too sacred an event. It's not a sacred event. It's a relational event. It is God saying, I have done this for you. And it's a person going, he's done this for me. We are people who are blessed immeasurably. We have been so blessed with this supersonic, cosmic, supernatural, really, really, really good news where God looks at us and goes, I love that mess. His name is Hitler. I still died for him. Well, I don't want him to die for Hitler. That's a hard problem. Because we're all a mess. But that's why it's good, 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 good news. Because it's on God. It's how he makes us right in his, in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. All right, I've only got a few minutes left. Till 2.30. <laughs> but one of the things I love about Carpenter's Way is you let me be honest with my sense and, and I just think it doesn't do, it does us a disservice to not acknowledge that church is getting a lot of bad press. A lot of bad press. And maybe, maybe we deserve a lot of it. Uh, many in the secular world even say that Christianity is responsible for much of the world's historical problems. I, I think it's interesting 
and that's, it's not because you guys are here this morning, but I find it interesting that there are uh, Orthodox Ukrainian church leaders saying that God is on their side, and then you have Orthodox Russian church leaders saying that God is on their side. Uh, you, many of your great-great-grandparents grew up with, you know, God was on the side of the south, and God was on the side of the north. You could quote scriptures on both sides, and you throw them at each other. And I think it shows a core problem. We're not asking God to be on our side. The question is, are we on God's side? That's, that's the point. And, and because we don't ask that, the church has, gets a lot of bad press. And, and, and often we're deserving of that bad press as we see preachers fall because of sin or we or, or watch as people steal from congregations or whose messages are so self-serving. And honestly, though, the reason I believe we predominantly only hear bad news, and pay attention to this, the reason we hear so much bad news is because those that are faithful, the bond servants, and those of you with me last week know what I'm talking about, the bond servant, minister of God, whether they're pastor or elder or member of the flock, they're not self-propagating. There's no such thing as www.markwilkie.org for a humble man or woman of God. They're not trying to sell their product. They're just out there faithfully serving the Lord. They're humble and quiet and godly men and women who are willingly surrendered servants of the Lord's work, who work quietly under the radar, lifting up God over self. Their prayer is, help me to decrease while you increase. And they're so busy serving God's purposes and making Him famous that there's no time for self-promotion, nor does he or she really desire for it. And, and I, I do understand why the world is so critical of the church. You've heard me be critical of Western Christianity. And when I say church, I don't mean the evangelical, Bible-based followers of God. I'm talking about the mess you know I'm talking about. I also want to say, though, and I want to be clear, that the real church, the body of Christ, God's church, His bride, Married to him as their groom, who declare him Lord of their lives, as Paul talks about in this text, is a beautiful and glorious body even today. And it exists in China, and it exists in Iran, and it exists in the United States of America. It even exists in the Bible Belt. But it's not found on big billboards. It's found in the heart and the fruit of these people who love people who are not like them. Their heart is overflowing with the compulsion by God to tell them that Jesus saves sinners. The body of Christ contains the refreshment, our gatherings now, contain the refreshment and encouragement and spiritual and physical and emotional support. We need to stay focused on the good news of God while living as exiled in this pretty messed up world. The true church does not obsess over theological or religious or moral ideals or traditions, but rather she screams endlessly the timeless offer by God to all fallen people of his mercy and his grace to anyone who desires it and will come for it. That's the body of Christ. What we read from today's text is the heart of the Apostle Paul, not for just the gospel, but also for the people. Okay, so here's where I start to rabbit trail, and I'm, I'm really trying because of time to stay on my notes today, but I want to go ahead and tell you where I'm going so you're not surprised. It struck me this week as I was studying this part of the text that we have, and I have to be careful how I say this, every book of the Bible is important, every book of the Bible is unique, 
every letter, every, all 66 books have their place except Song of Solomon, and that's something I refuse to address. But every book of the Bible is precious in its own right and has its place. But there is something incredibly special about the book of Romans, and I would add Galatians is like Romans minor because it explains how a person gets a right relationship with God. If I had one book of the Bible that I carried with me in my back pocket, it would be the book of Romans. Uh, there are, I think I mentioned it last week, I believe that there are uh, many of the Ivy League uh, law schools study the book of Romans because Paul was a master lawyer and what he does here lays out an argument, an explanation of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And so they study how he wrote this. But I thought it was interesting this week as I read this that despite writing this incredible letter, Paul doesn't think it's enough for them to have some doctrinal information. He wants to be with them. That personal contact was incredibly important to the Apostle Paul. Not just for their sake, but for his own. He was living and ministering and traveling in a Gentile, polytheistic world, cynical, unbelieving. And for those of you who have joined us on Wednesday night to study the context of Scripture, one of the things that we recently talked about was the culture of the Roman and Greek-type world. And everywhere you went in that world, every community had a false god. It could be Apollo, it could be Zeus, it could be one of those gods. And when you went into that town, there would be a temple. And before you did business in that town, you would go into that temple, you would give uh, some sort of offering to that god, which would go into the, the council of the city, and then you would take something, and it would have to be shown up. Do many of you like Chinese food? Do you know how when you pay your bill at a Chinese food, they have a little Buddha whose arms are going, I don't know what that thing is. You know what I mean? You're laughing because you all know what I'm talking about. That little gold thing. And if you look in there, there's usually coins uh, or there's a little candle next to it because they want the blessing of whatever that thing is that's doing that. That's how it was in Rome. Every community would have its own little dude and you paid homage to it and you would pay. Well, Christians couldn't do that because the first, the first rule of order is we have no other gods but our God. I can't concede to that. I'm not going to put a false god on my porch just because it's Halloween. I'm sorry. That was, that was just in my brain. I'm going to... There was like four of you that went... <laughs> the, the fact is that that's how life was. And so these people, including Paul, would go into these communities and they were outcasts and they were considered a problem for the community, not because the Roman theology wasn't polytheistic, including we don't care if you worship the Jewish God, but what it was was against somebody saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that's why when they called us followers of the way, it was a slam. That's a problem because they believe that their master is the only way to God. D does that make sense? So Paul is writing to them out of a tired heart as well. And actually, I told you last week, he's writing this. Does anybody remember from where? Uh, Corinth. That's okay. That's okay. We, we, we do that here. But it's Corinth. Do you remember how the Corinth church was? The answer is a mess. Remember, they were really proud of themselves because there was a dude in the midst who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. 
And they were proud of that. And Paul says, what are you doing? That is, even the pagans, even the Gentiles don't act like that. You guys are a mess. They were proud of it. And then they started asking him all these questions about doctrinal. Should we get married? And should we have sex? And should we blah, 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 blah. And Paul is writing to them going, what is wrong with you? He actually says somewhere in Corinthians, I don't even like to write you anymore. And I don't like to be with you because you get mad at me for your bad theology. So understand that if you read Paul's writings, especially Philippians, he's tired. And everywhere he goes, he hears, verse 8, here we go, through the text. I've got an hour and a half left. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. So he goes into a community, he goes into a community, and guess what he hears about? The Roman believers, they're strong. Man, they're ministering. They actually send us money. They support us. They encourage us. And, and, and guess what that does to his Jewish, tired, abused heart? He's in Corinth, and he can't even get these Corinthian believers to focus on Jesus. And it just encourages him. And that's why verse 9, I believe, he says, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. I'm jumping now to verse 10. One of the things I always pray for, so keep it together. So here's Paul living in Corinth. We know what a mess that is. By the way, First and Second Corinthians, we believe, is only two letters of eight he wrote. That's how messed up they were. And now he's living among them. And we believe he was there for nearly a year, if not two. And he's tired. Tired of dealing with Christians, just like you are. Tired of dealing with this stuff. Tired of, I love preaching the gospel, he says, but I want to come to you. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. He wants to be with them. The more he hears about them as he's ministering out there, the more he asked the Lord to give him an opportunity to be with these people face to face. And why? Verse 11, for I long to visit with you so I can bring some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. That's classic Paul. You read that and your mind, just like mine, goes, blah, 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 blah. Thank you for the greeting. Let's get to the meat. Why? Because that's what we expect of Paul. We expect Paul to come in and teach us. If I told you the apostle Paul came and met with me this week and he'll be here Sunday, none of you would show up. But if you did, you'd be like, whoa, this is super authority. We expect that. But in verse 12, he actually tells the rest of his heart. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Why? Because he needed it. He longed to be with them, so he, yes, so he could minister to them. Not shocking with Paul, right? We all expect that from him. But to tell them even more about God that they already know, also not shocking. But it sounds to me like Paul in that next line is really inter interested to be encouraged as well by their faith and their gifts, he goes on to say. Here's the Apostle God, Paul. The Apostle Paul. God's bond slave. Super stud man of God. Seriously. They saw him like that. You see him like that. I see him like that. In fact, he was so strong in his doctrine that one of his letters, he says, you say that I'm really, really nice when I come to you, but I'm grumpy in my letters. He actually says that. Because even then they thought, this is type A Paul. He's hard to deal with. I've had people in this church go, I don't think I'd like to spend much time with Paul. I probably wouldn't either. But the fact is that Paul was still human. He... He wanted to minister to them. He wanted to teach them more about God. 
but he needed to be encouraged by their faith and their gifts. Man, we all, just, let's just be honest, and I'm, I'm with you, we all want to find that perfect pastor, apostle, shepherd, whatever, human. It is so weird. I, I actually thought it again this morning as I came up here, and they're making the announcements, and uh, I can't believe any of you show up for me to preach. I, I just... I just can't, I, I'm just blown away by that. I am so honored to open God's Word to you. And I, you know what I do every Sunday? And you know this, I just share what God's teaching me. What a crazy life I have. You know, apparently Paul, though, I mean, he's different. It's like he's earned it. You know what I mean? He's, he's Paul. But apparently, the only perfect shepherd that's completely complete is actually Jesus. Actually, that's not true either, because if you remember in the, la- the night that he was betrayed, what did he ask for, three of his, for Peter, James, and John to come and pray for him and with him because he was about to be arrested? Yes, he was perfect, but God created us to need each other, to see each other, not just smile, not just hear each other sing, but actually to watch each other. Daniel and Kassiniach are here to tell you what God's doing in their ministry. But they're here because they need to know that you are praying for them. Because in a month, they're going to go back and it's still going to be a mess in Russia. I'm not shooting Russia here. I'm not taking sides. I'm simply saying that there is no such thing as a super stud Paul. And there is no such thing as super stud missionaries. And as you and I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and Zach and I were talking about this this week, you read these stories and you go, how can you be like that? And the truth is they probably weren't like that. They struggled every day. Many of you feel that struggle because when you want to witness to an aunt or an uncle who's dying, it's scary. Well, add that fear of your life. Add that fear of losing all your wealth, of your family rejecting you, of everybody hating you, and that's what Paul felt. And so when he says, when you read it here, When you read here that he's excited and encouraged, he needs their encouragement, he's making a huge statement that we need to take this morning and breathe in. We need each other. Not just our doctrinal conversations. I said earlier in the message that one of the things that really was the umbrella to everything I thought about this week was, here's this perfect or near, this is a perfect theological letter, and yet it wasn't enough for Paul. He wanted to minister to them and be ministered. For those of you watching online, I am so confident that, look, I know some of you can't be here, and I I respect that because of illness or otherwise, but if there is not that keeping you, you are not participating in the body life as church as God has tended it. We have this incredible opportunity to get together regularly. Well, I don't like Christians. Listen, then you have a problem with God because 1 John says, if you hate my children, you don't love me. But I don't want to guilt you into coming. I just want you to know that there's a lot that these people have to offer you. And it isn't just the teaching. That's why you guys, listen, you need to be in Bible studies. Because this is fine. But that's community. You know, uh, the Lewises have run away from home. Uh, They hate you. And so, is is that right? Am I right so far? And to... (laughs) They had to move. The Lord moved them for another business thing that Stephen had to do. They miss you. 
the Lord has now provided them a church with half-hearted preaching and not good enough worship, but it's okay. I think it's like 10 times our size or whatever. And it's, it's such a joy. Tamara sends me the passage. You should hear him preach. That's code for, you really do suck. I'm just teasing Tamara. But I'll tell you what, talk to people who have left the family and, and, and for, 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 they, they miss fellowship. Rarely, rarely do I hear people say, man, I miss your preaching. What they say is, I just miss, I just miss our church, our family. It's true. You know, sometimes I get discouraged. And you know what lists me up? God, God honest here. God is my witness. I promise this is true. All I need to do is come to a Wednesday night. And man, my heart is full again. I like you. And not because I agree with all of you or we're all the same in the way we think, but just because your faith, your encouragement, your smiles, your, there's just, just God is blessing us here. You know, I, I, I don't know all the, it's just a good season and, it, and that's what Paul is talking about. We need each other face to face. Solid doctrine is not enough. And if your Christianity consists merely of reading books about God by others without any fellowship of the family of God, it isn't enough. It wasn't enough for Paul, and I assure you it isn't enough for you. One super important thing, don't believe the hype. Don't even believe your own feelings. Not all churches abuse. Not all pastors are self-serving. Not all congregations are trying to get your money. And not all messages are about politics and morality. That's a lie. There are some of us who want you to fall in love with him. And I'm one of those people. I am not lifting myself up. I am clear every Sunday that I struggle with sin and I say stupid things. I started this morning by correcting a doctrine about a church I don't belong to. But the truth matters. And I want you to love Jesus. I told my dad a few weeks ago, and I don't know what this means. I don't, it's not arrogant, but every pastor thinks about what they want to leave behind. I want to be the pastor we all prayed for. I don't even know what that means. Do you, you know what I mean by that? Because every time we unfold that onion, it looks ugly to me. I'm tired of pastors falling. I want you to know, and I told about seven guys this after the Matthew Chandler thing. You can look at any computer, at any phone, any time, and I will unlock it for you. Why? Because I know my heart is sinful, not to brag. We need to walk with Jesus, not the Baptist church. We need to walk with Jesus, not our traditions. We need to raise our children that there is one thing worth dying for, and that's Jesus Christ. There's one thing worth dying to sell for, and that's Jesus Christ. And, and there's one safe place on this planet to take a deep breath and a cool drink of water, and that's the body of Christ. I know you guys are going to have a busy three weeks or four weeks or however long you're here, but my prayer is that this week while you raise funds and do all the things you need to do, I pray that this is a cool drink of water for you because we're praying for you. And I know you pray for us because we have some unique dangers here. And that is that we are convinced that this is a Christian culture, and it is not. It is a Christianized culture, but it is not a culture. This is what we were texting about this morning, Zach. 
The problem with the United States, and you hear this all the time in churches, is not that she doesn't have enough God. You can't get more God than you have wherever you are in the world. The problem is we need more surrender to God. We need to trust Him more, even if it costs us everything. Because we believe that His plan is not only the right plan, but it's the good plan. We've got to get back to that surrender. And the only place to be refreshed in that kind of life is together with other people who are also walking that same journey. Verse 13. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I was prevented until now. Think about that sentence. I've been needing you. I've been coming to teach you and to be taught, to encourage and to be encouraged, to, to, to minister my gifts to you and to have your gifts ministered to me. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen in other Gentiles. Verse 14, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to Rome also to preach the good news. We need each other. All right, we're about to, I want, I want to tell you a story. Could you put that picture up there for me, please? Then we're going to wrap up. This is a picture from the Greek islands. I have two of them, but we'll just leave that up there for right now. I'll tell you to switch over. This is uh, just outside of the home of Hippocrates. You know him because if you are in the medical field, you have sworn that Hippocratic Oath. That's named after this guy. He is the father of modern medicine, or considered that. And in the area, it is surrounded by olive trees. But this olive tree is known uh, as one that was there when he, when he was there. That makes this tree potentially 2,400 years old. That is an olive tree. From this picture, could you put the other picture up there, please? From this picture, it looks like a relatively healthy tree. But if you go outside of this community, you see thousands of olive trees and groves, hundreds of groves. There are, uh, this is one of the places where we get our virgin olive oil. And when you look at those other trees, it doesn't take long to realize that this is an olive tree only in name. It bears very little fruit, maybe 10 a year, little olives. Those leaves for an olive tree are incredibly sparse. Do you remember the olive tree we had in our front yard in one of our homes? Dad, are you sleeping, Dad? Uh, that's okay. I, I, it's okay, Dad. Sorry. Everybody else sleeps too. It's okay. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. I'll be over at three to pre-preach this in your living I'm just teasing. He wasn't. Sometimes I say things to like Jewel, like, remember this? And she's out there going, I don't remember that. Well, I slept it. So, but, but we had this tree in our yard and, and olive trees, you know, they sound romantic, but it was a pain because I mowed the lawn and they drop hundreds of olives and they are a mess. They stain the concrete. But this tree doesn't do any of that. You know why? It's an olive tree only in name. In fact, if you look at that metal bar, it's actually holding that olive tree up. So while people travel from all over the globe to look at this potentially 2,400-year-old tree, it's a useless tree. Because God created that tree to bear fruit. 
Not to exist. Not to sit. Not to look like an old olive tree. But to actually bear olives. And my fear is that's what happens to the church when we forget the good news is the point. I mean, we may have all the trappings of church. We may be propped up by lots of money. We may look like a church. But we're fruitless. And what's so tragic is nobody even notices because we're so busy being a church. And the thing is that inside the church is the body of Christ. Not inside the building, but I'm talking inside the massive amount of people that claim to be followers of Jesus. Seventy-some percent of people in our culture claim to be born-again followers of Jesus. If that were the case, there'd be no abortion. Pornography would be bankrupt. It would be one or two magazines. Adultery would be unheard of uh, in the Christian world. But the problem is, we've become like that tree. And that's why we've got to be together and get back into the Scripture and remind each other that we're not just a church. We are a fruit-bearing body of Christ as long as we stay rooted in Him. And we need each other. And that's what Paul wanted to say right before he jumped in to the good news of Jesus Christ from start to finish, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the end of Revelation. He wanted them to understand, beyond theology, I need you and you need me. That tree scares me. I don't want to be propped up in clerical gowns. I, I know I'd look ridiculous anyway. And I know you don't want that either. Then get on your knees and ask God to revive our hearts. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word that's relevant today as it was when Paul wrote it. And we're about to jump into why, why the world is a mess and what you did about it. And Lord Jesus, it is... It is my prayer that we would have ears to hear what you have to say and eyes to see the truth and that we would be less Baptist and more followers of Jesus. That we would rise up and want something bigger than political action and moral revisionism. That we would want intimacy with God through his son Jesus and we would want others to join us. And so we ask for that. And we pray for our brother and sister who are here from Russia. May they feel the love of God and the Holy Spirit that inside your kids. And may they be refreshed just by being with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day, everybody. Daniel and Cassidia is over there if you want to greet them. Or they will be here Wednesday night.